to this week's On the Spot, where we discuss what's happening in the freight market over the last week or so. So I'm Zach Strickland. With me, as always, John Paul Hampstead, Director of Passport Research here at FreightWaves. Uh, JP, uh, you know, capacity continues to tighten throughout Labor Day week. And, you know, this is not necessarily a traditional pattern. We normally see some tightness around a holiday, and then all of a sudden it kind of comes back online. Over the last five days or so, we've still seen tender rejection rates nationally increase significantly. Um, what's your take on all this? Do you think that we're really going to see this sustained capacity tightness, increasing volumes continue? I do. Um, I think there are a couple of reasons why capacity is really tight. I think that you know um, there's a lot of demand for truckload capacity from the nation's largest retailers that are running at fairly low inventories and have fairly high sales. Um, you're seeing that show up in, in poor volumes, and you know, the Wall Street Journal is, is reported on that and, 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 and things of that nature. The, the industrial economy is starting to recover. Um, starting to come off the bottom. I mean, automotive is probably the most robust part of the industrial economy right now, um, where OEMs are kind of making up for lost time. Oil right. and gas is probably the, the, the weakest. Um, but on the supply side, I just think that there are some things, some sort of developments that are we're still working through that are causing uh, enterprise carriers to really have trouble seeding their trucks um, the, the way they want to. And, we talked about the drug and alcohol clearinghouse. We've talked about the limited operations of the country's um, driver schools, right? And a couple other, you know, things like that. Um, you know, uh, used truck orders. All, all, all of that. It, it will take many months to work through. And so I, I just think that. Um, you know, the rate at which new capacity can be brought into the industry may be a little bit slower than even the last cycle. Do you think that, you know, in 2018, that's kind of the last big market disruption that we have to compare something on this scale to, even though they're very different events. We've discussed that at length. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, after the 2017-18, you know, explosion of freight and capacity tightness, uh, we saw a lot of people go out and buy trucks uh, you know, and start just adding capacity in mass to the market. Do you think that there's, you know, what what level do you think that will hit that compares to that? That's a good question. I mean, I, I, capacity is coming back. Um, we've seen it show up in the employment data. We've seen it show up in insurance policies. Um, we've we, and and you know we've seen it show up in numbers like uh, Lance RBCOs, new truck orders. Even the firming up of asset prices in the used truck market suggests that um, people are, you know, trying to take advantage of this market. I just think that, you know, um, the volumes are so high, demand is so high relative to capacity, and that there are so many barriers to entry that it's just going to take a while. Like, like I, I, I definitely think that this is not a new normal. Right. Right. Like, right. No. <laughs> like, like trucking uh, tends to be a boom and bust industry mm -hmm. that self-corrects with pricing. Yep. Like, you know, it's an almost like perfectly competitive, quite efficient market in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so there, at some point, there will be a correction. But honestly, like, with the way that the industrial economy is starting to support volumes, like, I don't see capacity catching up to demand anytime soon. I mean, demand is still, is still growing. 
Yeah. So, you know, we were talking to uh, Dr. Zach Rogers this week on our Freightonomics podcast. He's one of the contributors to the Logistics Managers Index. They measure warehousing capacity, trucking capacity, inventory levels, all sorts of stuff, really focused on the logistics space. And one of the things that he, you know, we asked him, what did he think was going to happen in this fourth quarter? Uh, you know, because we're, we're already at like, you know, peak levels and they continue to kind of climb higher even though we appear to have some level of resistance. Carriers are trying to accept as much freight as they can, but, uh, you, know, at, you know, at a certain level and there's this resistance. So fourth quarter comes around, we've got all this inventory piled up in the, in the warehouses and then we have retail peak. He basically said he thinks that this is, the retail peak is going to be absorbed by what's already happening. We're already seeing e-commerce booming. We're already seeing a lot of uh, in-house orders. And he thought that, yeah, there may be some sort of hump, but it's not going to be like a double-down effect where we're going to see tender rejection rates, say, to 50%, spot market rates go to $5 a mile, et cetera. What do you think about that? Um, that might be right. And certainly, I think both retailers and uh, you know, carriers want, you know, would prefer that scenario. And so when you look at um, the way that, you know, UPS announced that they were adding 100,000 workers for peak, right? But they're doing that essentially a month earlier than they normally would. It's the same number of workers. Mm-hmm. They're hiring them for uh, starting a month earlier, trying to kind of you know, flatten the curve right. in a way, uh, to, to, to mix our metaphors. Um, and I think also that e-commerce retailers um, um, are, are, start, are thinking about doing sales and promotions much earlier. I mean, when you think about the way that they sell their goods, it doesn't have to do with people's like physical habits of like being like, oh, it's you know the week before Christmas. I, I need to like go to Target or whatever. It's like they're they're promoting ads and links to specific items in people's social media feeds on their phones. They're they're, they're paying for things to move up the Amazon rankings in certain ways that are keyed to their current inventory levels and which things they want to move when. Right. And so, um, you know, the, the idea, yeah, is that is that e-commerce retailers are going to try to make it a little bit easier on themselves and the parcel integrators and, by extension, truckload carriers may have a little bit of a, of a smoother ramp instead of a, uh, you know, sort of a violent spike in demand. Yeah, I like that. Uh, to me, uh, you know, my thought is, yeah, I think we're already in this e-commerce boom. Retail has already pretty much come back. We've already seen kind of this uh, surge. I, I think the home goods thing will diminish as we get into the colder months. Uh, you know, the Home Depots and Lowe's will have their off-season more so uh, than they will. So certain things will pull back, but we'll definitely see some ramping in other spaces. That industrial sector, though, to me, is the one that's going to be the telltale sign of whether yeah. or not we do see the hump. because. Carriers are already experiencing tons of CPG, food and beverage, all that kind of stuff. Food and beverage will probably, you know, pull back somewhat. Uh, Produce was tremendous this year. Uh, So that's going to start to come back offline. Uh, But at the same time, it depends on the ramping of that industrial sector because that is a lot of your cold season uh, freight movement that occurs. We're already seeing signs of life in the industrial sector, even in oil and gas. And it's interesting because there are different ways to look at the level of activity in oil and gas. Mm -hmm. For a long time, what people looked at um, to sort of predict or get ahead of uh, growth in oil production was the Baker Hughes rig count, which is just the count of oil rigs that are actively drilling new wells and looking for oil. 
Right, and that has been suppressed for a long time. It really bottomed like last month, and we haven't really come up the bottom um, in terms of new, new wells. The issue with just looking at the Baker Hughes rig count, though, is that there are more than 3,000 drilled but uncompleted wells in the Permian Basin alone. So they're not, you know, so what, what really matters, what, what you can actually look at is a completely different data set, which is the primary vision um, uh, frac spread count, which is like essentially after you've drilled it and completed it, it hasn't been fractured. The frac spreads are the, the assemblages of equipment and people and materials that then finish those wells. And that has actually doubled off the bottom. So um, there's, a lot, there's, there's one way of thinking about it where um, the shale producers are actually starting to exploit these drilled, uncompleted wells and turn that, in, that inventory over. Maybe they're not looking for new wells, but um, production is coming off the bottom. And so, you know, um, we're definitely keeping our eye on that. That's a weekly number um, that we reported on um, uh, at the beginning of this week in mm -hmm. one, one of our special topics, uh, Passport. Um, so, you know, I just think that, you know, chemicals kind of follows uh, oil and gas, right. which is a huge international trade thing between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Well, the chemicals are used to, you know, process the, you know, crude. <laughs> yeah, well, that and, and, you know, you make, you make um, you know, propane out of, mm -hmm. out of natural gas. Yep. You make uh, polypropylene, which is plastic, out of right. propane. You mm -hmm. make other things out of plastic. And um, plastics, of course, everybody knows are a big part of our economy. It makes the world go round, <laughs> yeah, right? right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, so, so you know, we're, we're looking at that very carefully, and you know, I think there are some older metrics that are probably less relevant to how um, the oil and gas economy works now, and we're, we're trying to kind of get a holistic view by comparing lots of different uh, cuts at the data. Right. Um, but we're pretty optimistic, honestly, about, about the industrial sector. Right on. So we've discussed a few of our underlying items, you know, the things that kind of drive freight in the long run, the industrial economy, et cetera. Employment levels are, of course, important. Uh, you know, By the way, I, I wanted to ask you a question about the employment levels, because I see yeah. this on, like, LinkedIn and, and on the Internet and social media talked about a lot. Yeah. Does the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics data, include owner-operators? I don't think they do. They're not on payrolls. Um, you know, that's a great question for Anthony Smith. <laughs> okay. Because I was looking at it and I... I would I, think that they would. Okay. You because, think they do? Yeah, I think okay. they do because of the way that they have to... If they're not looking for employment, I mean, because the way that the survey works is that it's somebody that's actively looking for employment or, you know, willing to work. And then they have, of course, tax records that show people that are not looking for employment. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's Anthony Smith, because I looked at yeah. it in the way, and I thought it excluded people who were self-employed. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll ask the economist. We, we, we need to ask the economist okay. on that one. But that's a good question. Though. These are good questions. Of course, I talked to Anthony this week about the permanently unemployed versus the temporarily unemployed, which they're starting to track now, which is a much better uh, representation. And we are starting to see that permanently employed number kind of hold firm. Uh, yeah. in place a little bit more uh, so that that's concerning in the long run uh, today right. it's not as important especially now we've got another extension on a, the government stimulus for another few weeks um, you know so that's going to keep these you know uh, hourly workers and, and you know the lower wage workers still engaged with the economy they're still spending I think we'll get another bill eventually once Congress figures that out but I think so before the election 
it, more than likely. <laughs> I think we all know. Uh, but, you know, let's hit the freight market real fast as we have a few minutes left. Uh, you know, we are seeing a few things, uh, you know, in the underlying fundamentals of the dynamics of the freight market. We've been talking, uh, you know, about how the volumes have really created a capacity issue, et cetera. But the West Coast predominantly driving a lot of the freight market tightness, Los Angeles, of course, being at the center of all that. What we're seeing now is Los Angeles, even though we're still seeing very tight capacity out there, over the last week or so, spot rates have come down a little bit. Tender rejection rates came down and then kind of flatlined around 27%, um, you know, out on the West Coast in Los Angeles. So on the meantime, in the meantime, on the East Coast, we're watching markets like Harrisburg, Allentown, and all the Northeastern Corridor really see a huge increase in tender rejection rates, but also markets just along the East Coast in general. Right. Uh, tightness show up there as... You know, my thought is that a lot of the carriers figured out they could get to Los Angeles and get these high rates, and now it's starting to show up as supply is kind of for sure. To get like an, I feel like to get a meaningful shift in like national capacity from one region to another, it takes like a kind of a month long, yeah. well known narrative to percolate through the market, um, and once that information is acted on, then things kind of adjust. One market I did want to highlight though is Chicago. Right, which is also tightening up a mm -hmm. lot, um, maybe due to carriers' response to to you know anticipated high volumes out of out of Los Angeles. Um, tender rejections in Chicago are now over 20%. Last week, um, Chicago to Atlanta spot rates broke above the national average, which I thought was really surprising because. Chicago to Atlanta is is a lane where it's like the Dow Jones Industrial Index. It's like the there's the, tons of small carriers based in Chicago land. Mm -hmm. It's a very dense lane. It's a, it's a it's depending on where you're starting and where you're ending from. Mm -hmm. It's around 700 miles, which you know, if you have a strong solo, you can do it in a day. Um, yep. So it's a easy to cover, dense lane, and brokers have all these natural advantages on that lane, and they usually uh, keep the spot rates fairly suppressed on that lane below the national average. Right. The, um, it went up ten and a half percent last week, um, breaking it. You know, like I said, above the national average, I think to like two dollars ninety three cents a mile, um, and that just kind of tells me that like, if if Chicago to Atlanta is above the national average, brokers have like lost any control they had left right. over the spot market. Yeah. Right. You, like you guys, this is like their kind of their home base, right? This is there's huge there's a huge amount of people domiciled up there. You have the same thing down in Atlanta. I mean these are population centers, so that lane right there controls a lot of the directionality of the you know, north and south east and you know, south to north. You have a ton of freight moving in that lane. It's also a heavy rail lane. So yeah, I think that's a good point that you're making that, you know, if Brokers have lost their control of the pricing, and what should be one of the more stable, steady, steadily supplied markets. These are that's the lane that like they don't even look at DAT on, yeah. right? Because they they right. kind of know the rate in their sleep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but if they're if they're having trouble covering Chicago to Atlanta, which is a bread and butter lane, they're having trouble covering just about anything at this point. Yeah. So well said. Well, that'll do it for this week's On the Spot. Thank you so much for watching, and stay tuned to FreightWaves.com for any future freight market updates. Have a great week.